today and ready for what God is going to speak to us today. I am going to challenge you just a little bit. I probably got less sleep than any of you, and I'm excited to be here, and I'm not even close to tired, so if you start yawning, I'm going to throw water at you, just to give you a heads up, so. <laughs> I said that. All right. All right, so here's the deal. Um, we're going to be taking some time over the next couple weeks. Uh, uh, we've got Mother's Day coming up, so we'll take a, a week break in that, but over the next couple weeks, we're going to be walking through Acts. And uh, Acts chapter 1 specifically, and so we're going to be walking through that uh, verse by verse um, over the next couple Sundays. I'm excited about it. I'm really pumped. Um, this is one of my favorite books in the Bible, but also too, um, just um, I, I love, love, love God's Word. Um, I, I believe that this is God's spoken Word. I believe that it is all true. I believe that it is life-changing and transforming. I believe that when you open yourself to God speaking through his word, that it will change your life. And um, I believe that there's more depth in the words of God in one sentence than anything that we can find in this world. And um, so I'm excited just to take a few weeks and just walk through and look at what God has in his word for us. Look at how it's applicable for today and find out how we can walk out in his grace. And um, I believe that one, God's going to challenge us all. And two, that as we go through this, that each one of us, as we're a part of this, we're going to fall deeper in love with God's word and allow it to be a transforming agent in our lives. And so I'm pumped about this. Are you guys? All right, good stuff. All right, so, um, so as we walk through Acts chapter 1, um, I was just thinking there is this, there's this idea as, as Luke is, is writing Acts and he's building up here in, 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 in chapter 1, there's this, this sense of anticipation, there's a sense of expectation, right? And I don't know about you, but if you've maybe had these moments in your life where you've just, you, you've expected something to happen, right? And maybe it happened or maybe it didn't, but you in your life, maybe you've had those moments where you've just been like, I can't wait for this moment, you know, you're just looking for it and you've got all kinds of ideas and dreams of what it could be and how it's going to look and how it's going to play out. And it's just expectation, there's anticipation, right? And we all know the feelings, right? How many of you guys with me, right? You remember, you can think of a moment like that, all right? So, so I was thinking of um, as this and just all of this was in my heart. And, and um, uh, for those of you that don't know, I work at uh, Second Street Bistro, uh, which is a restaurant here in town, as well as doing the church and uh, uh, for the time being as a server. And um, so I walked up to one of my tables and I greeted them and I was getting ready to make a joke. Um, because he was wearing a New York Yankees hat, and I was getting ready to make fun of him and tell him I couldn't serve him. But um, I saw, that, like, it was a pretty intense moment between this couple, right? And I was like, man, I don't know, something's going on here, right? So I used a little bit of discernment and wisdom and said, don't speak, right? And so <laughs> I gave him their waters, told him the soup of the day, and said, I'll be back in a minute, right? And uh, so in that five minutes, when I come back to their table, she's crying, right? And I'm like, there's tears, are those tears of joy? Are they tears of anger? What are they? What am I, you know, I don't want to bring them some bread and they're going to start throwing it, right? And so I'm just like, what's going on here? And then I look at the table and there's a ring box sitting on the table, right? He had just proposed to her, right? They had just driven, driven down from New Jersey. And, um, and so it was, this is one of their favorite restaurants in Williamsburg. It's a special place for them. And so um, that restaurant is a special thing. That table was. And so like he had orchestrated the whole thing, right? And, um, and so it was just such a cool moment 
moment for them. And I was like, did that just happen? And she's like, she's like, yes, it did. And I was like, that's so cool. I'm going to get out of here, right? Because <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be in your moment. And it's uh, so, like, because you don't want to be the guy that ruins that moment for somebody, right? Yeah, you know, they're just like, it was so awesome. But there was this weird bearded bald dude that wouldn't leave us alone, you know? And uh, so I just walked away. But I started thinking about, you know, Michelle and I's engagement. And, um, and I, I was sitting there and I was like, man, it's been 10 years, you know. It's been 11 years, you know, since we uh, got engaged. And I started thinking about the details of it. And I was like, there's a couple things I forgot about. And so um, Michelle and I, like, we're, we're made for each other. I just, uh, we just are, right. Uh, we're just made for each other. Um, we both have the same sense of humor, same interest. We, we, we get each other. And um, the way that I like to live life, it gives her fuel and gives her passion and, and, and likewise. And, um, and so me, I like, I, like to, I like practical jokes, right? I like causing chaos. I like, you know, doing all kinds of just things just for the fun of it sometimes. And, uh, and so um, we were getting, uh, I knew that I wanted to propose to her. I had, I had bought in the ring for her actually on Mother's Day. And um, I was just waiting for the right moment and just, you know, all this different stuff. And even before that, I knew that um, I wanted to get engaged. So at least like every day, I don't know if any of you guys you can relate to me, I had the ring in my sock drawer. And every single day, I would look at that thing four, five times. You know what I'm saying? Just go, I can't believe I'm getting ready to do this, you know. And so for over a month, I waited, right. And I planned and I strategized. And she knew the relationship was getting serious. And, and you know, we were taking steps just to talk through things and, and different stuff. And so she knew it was getting serious. So there's anticipation on her part, right. And plus, we're in Bible college and we're approaching the end of school, right. So that's just kind of that's what happens, right? And, um, and so there's just all this expectation. And, and, um, and so her birthday was coming up. And so I took her down to St. Petersburg um, in Florida. And uh, we went to this restaurant. And it's this amazing seafood restaurant. It's one of our favorite restaurants. And um, it, you can actually you eat on the roof of the restaurant. And it's overlooking the beach. And, uh, and, and the sun sets because it's on the, on the west coast. So the sun sets right in front of the restaurant, right? And because it's central Florida, most times, especially around that time of year, it's just crystal clear skies. So you just see this massive, giant ball of fire falling into the ocean. And it's just such a cool moment. And so we go and we eat, you know, there and the sun's setting and we have this great meal and we're having fun and we're talking and we're dreaming. And then I take her on the beach and we walk down the beach and we're like the only couple on the beach and we're walking hand in hand. And, you know, we're just going along and just talking and, then there's this bench that I knew was there, and so I sat her down on the bench, and I started talking to her about how I love her, right? I'm making this moment big, right? right? I'm building the anticipation, right? This expectation, right? She starts posturing herself differently and sitting different, you know? <laughs> Okay, I'm getting ready to respond, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, her, her left finger's like, twi- you know, just kind of like, it's here, right? So we got all this moment going on, and, and so I'm just making it big, and, and so I pull the box out of my pocket, and I give it to her, and I was like, you just mean so much to me, and I just want you to know that. And I open up the box, and it's a watch. (laughs) (laughs) It's a watch. (laughs) Oh, so good. (laughs) So I give her the watch, I give her the watch. We walk back to the beach, we walk back to the car, we ride home, we talk, I kiss her goodnight, and I go home. And I go home. 
dead serious. Oh, it's so good. You want to talk about anticipation. You want to talk about excitement, right? You want to talk about what is going on in this moment, right? I'll tell you the story some other time, but I proposed to her actually the next day. And I had this big elaborate plan, but I, I intentionally waited. I intentionally waited. And one, because that's just my personality and I'm a jerk, right? And I have fun in being a jerk. <laughs> secondly, secondly, <laughs> I knew her love language. I knew her love language. She loves to be surprised. Like that is her number one thing is to be surprised. And I knew that about her. And I knew that if I had proposed to her in that moment, it would have been big and it would have been fun. But it wouldn't have spoken to the core who she was. And I wouldn't have communicated that moment. I know who you are. And so that's where we find the story of Luke as he's writing out Acts. And where Jesus is with his disciples. Luke and Acts are two books of the gospel, or of the New Testament, that take up 25% of the New Testament. Luke and Acts are both written by Luke, who was not a disciple of Jesus, who did not, was not an eyewitness to the accounts of Jesus' life and crucifixion. But Luke writes 25% of the New Testament. And Luke provides us some of the only details that we have of Jesus' life as a kid, of his birth, of different instances. Luke is the only one that writes it in a chronological order that gives us the details and the in-depth historical proof of Jesus' life. So Luke writes Luke and Acts, and he writes them together in the tense that they should be read together. One, Luke was written around 60 AD, and, and I, you know, anywhere, Acts could be written anywhere from, most people believe, 61 to 63 to maybe some people extreme say 72, but they're wrong. Um, so the, I would say Acts was written around somewhere around 62 AD, and Luke's intention was that they'd be read together. These are written on scrolls. There's probably combined together between Luke and Acts, there's around 50 foot of paper that these things cover. So this is massive. And so Luke takes his time to, to write this out and to walk through Luke and Acts and to show us Jesus' life and show us Jesus' church. And he takes time to, to write those things out and to show those things. And so that's what we're going to be doing is just looking a little bit today of what Luke was intending to do and what God shows us through this story in Acts. So let's take some time just to pray for that moment. God, we thank you for your goodness. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for this church. And we thank you, Lord, that you are speaking to us today. God, we pray, Lord, that you will speak to us. You know where our hearts are. You know the anticipation of our hearts. You know the worries, the fears, you know the doubts, you know the excitements, you know the failures, you know the successes. God, you know the deepest part of us. And God, we pray that you speak to us there in that place. God, that our eyes will be open to the fact that you are a real God, a loving God, that you're a powerful God, that you're a demanding God, that you're you're a God who provides and a God who loves. And so God, today we pray that our eyes be opened and in this moment that your Holy Spirit will speak, that your words will be spoken, and that we will be able to live on mission for you. In the name of Jesus, amen. So here, 
I'm going to read Acts chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them up to Acts chapter 1 if you haven't already done so. If you have, give yourself a pat on the back. Congratulations. So uh, Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be at. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Luke starts off with this. He says, we're going to read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And uh, in verse 1, he says this. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the, during the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Verse 4, once he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So here's where we are in this part. So Luke has written Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote it to a guy named Theophilus. And so Luke is writing and he says, as I've told you before, and he says, in my first book I told you Theophilus. And so here we can see, and just real quick, I'm not going to take a ton of time to walk through this. If you want to afterwards, I would love to at some point or get coffee or lunch. We can talk about this. But the I and the my is Luke. That's him saying it. He doesn't specifically say Luke anywhere in um, the gospel or in Acts, but it is very clear, one through church history, factual evidence, and, and different things. It is actually one of the most clearest scriptures that we do have that we know who the author is. And Luke is definitely the author of Luke and Acts. And so this I in the my is Luke. Luke is somebody who is a physician. You can see that in Colossians chapter 4. He was a physician. He was a Gentile, meaning he was not of Jewish uh, heritage. There are some people that might believe that, but most evidence would say that he was a Gentile. He was somebody who did not grow up in Jewish traditions. As you look through scripture and things that he had to walk through with the disciples and conversations that he had, it would show that he was a Gentile and uh, did not necessarily understand or grow up in the Jewish traditions. And so um, Luke was a physician. He was a very educated person. He was a Gentile. Um, he was somebody who, he grew up in Antioch. And um, he, he, in his, after being converted, he meets Paul. At some point after being converted, he, he comes in contact with Paul. Him and Paul just kind of hit it off and they become boys. Um, often I think this is the be the truth is, is that Paul looks at Luke and says, you're a doctor. That's kind of cool, and most evidence would point that Luke was actually a boatsman doctor. So he was actually somebody who traveled on the boats and was a doctor and cared for people on boats. Paul traveled a ton, knew that he was going to be traveling a ton. Paul, who was pretty aggressive in spreading the gospel and knew he was going to get beat up a lot, was like, hey, I need a cut man to come and take care of me. And so, you know, you know bandage me up, do what he got to do, and throw me back in the ring. You know what I'm saying? And so... Um, so him and Luke kind of hit it off, and Paul, I think, just taking advantage of it, saying, hey, you're a good guy, you need to come with me, right? And so they make this connection, and Luke and Paul end up traveling together. And between the two of them, almost all of the New Testament is written between the two of them, between Paul and Luke. And that's pretty fascinating when you look at that. When you look at what we have today, you have two people that, are, that were not Jewish and that, that weren't a part of the beginning of the church and didn't have the eyewitness accounts, but yet later on encountered Jesus in their life and had to totally shift their understanding of life. Their total understanding of God and everything about them had to be completely shifted. And it was done in such a radical way that they sold themselves out to live for Jesus Christ. 
And as they live their lives for him, God used both of them to write almost all of the New Testament that has shaped each one of us and our understanding of who God is. And that's just fascinating when you look at that. Paul, I mean, uh, um, Luke, there's an ancient document that is written um, about Luke, and, and it shows that Luke was somebody, this was written about 100 years after Luke um, had passed away, and it speaks of Luke being from Antioch, it speaks of him being a Gentile, it speaks of him um, as a physician, um, somebody who uh, did not have a wife, did not have kids, and it says that he lived to be the age of 84 years old until he was martyred for the cause of Christ. And it says this of Luke in there. It said that he lived blamelessly, faithfully until he was 84. And he died full of the Holy Spirit. That's what it says of Luke, and that's who Luke was. Luke was so impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of Jesus Christ that he lived his life dedicated for the entirety of his life, living blamelessly and full of the Holy Spirit until his life was taken from him and he was hung for Jesus Christ. That's who Luke was. Luke was a physician. He was educated. Luke approached writing both Luke and Acts as an investigative journalist. That's what he did, and that's what he set out to do. He was somebody who, and why his gospel would be so different, is because he approached it with a different mindset. I didn't see these things happen, so I'm going to go to those who did see it. I'm going to go to those who grew up with Jesus. I'm going to go to those who were in his family. I'm going to go and I'm going to explore all these things, documents that have been written, things that were an actual part of the history that we are still discovering today, Luke had access to. And Luke, as an investigative journalist, went through and said, who is this Jesus? What did his life look like? And he writes Luke for us. And we see the life of Jesus. And then as he travels with Paul, he begins to live his life out and then recounts that for us in the same type of narrative way of showing us the life of Jesus, his church. And so that's who Luke is, and that's what he did. And Theophilus, Theophilus, real quickly, just so you know, I said I wasn't going to take a long time on Luke, and I did, so I probably won't take a long time on Theophilus, which I was going to. So Theophilus, who he's writing to, we don't know too much about Theophilus. There's, uh, there's several different reigning theories on who he is. There's two in my studies that I would say these are probably the two that are most true. And I'll let you know my opinion on it. And again, it's just an opinion because we don't know. As you'll see in a minute, I don't think it really matters. Theophilus, um, he was in Luke chapter 1 and verse 3, you can see in that verse right there that it says, most excellent Theophilus. So there's this sense that Luke is writing to somebody who has honor, who has rank. Um, I would believe that, that Theophilus, as, as well, was a Gentile. He was a Roman officer. Um, he was somebody who had rank in the Roman government. And more than likely, one of the main theories is, is he actually was somebody who had a decision to be made in Paul's imprisonment. So he was somebody who had a, a voice to weigh in on, on Paul's situation as Paul's in prison. And so Luke is writing Luke and Acts to say, hey, here's the deal. Like, this Christianity, it's not some weird, crazy thing that's coming up. It's not anti-Roman. Like, this thing's real. And because it's real, Paul's saying the real thing. And he's not doing anything to try to overthrow the Roman government. In fact, when you look at it, you'll see quite the opposite. So take that in consideration, and maybe that will weigh in on your difference. The other one, and I would lean a little bit more towards this one is, and though they might be both a possibility is, is that Theophilus was somebody who, with his encounters with Luke and, or whatever else, was saved, knew of Jesus Christ. Luke began to disciple him, and Theophilus became the guy who bankrolled Luke in Paul's travels. 
There's an ancient document as well that does mention, it's a second century account, and it mentions Theophilus' name. It just says Theophilus, so it might be another person. But it says of him that he was a great lord. That had a lot of wealth and had a lot of uh, substantial just acclaim in their community. So it could be very well that he was the one who bankrolled their travels. Because you think about it, when they travel as much as they do and did all that they did, they needed somebody to say, hey, here's the funds to do this. Either way, whoever Theophilus is, I don't think really is going to matter one way or the other, and it doesn't change much for us, other than the fact that Luke is writing to a person to say, this Jesus Christ that I'm writing of is real. All of the things that are written of him are true. They are proven historically. This Jesus Christ that I'm writing of is who he said he was. And because he is who he said he was, and because he did what I'm saying he did, and dying on the cross and raising from the dead, you can look at the implications and the ramifications of what took place after he disappeared in his church. So Theophilus, this thing's real. And so what we can take away from that is, is that Jesus is real. Luke is a real person. You can go visit his grave today and 347 AD after the persecution of the church was done, his remains were removed from one grave to where they are now and they are a place you can go visit now. There's all kinds of evidences and proofs of, of Luke's life that he lived. Luke was a real person and he's writing of Jesus Christ who was a real person. This is a historical account of Christianity. This is not a philosophical... Uh, a ph- <laughs> Waffles on the brain. There you go. Philosophical thought. This is not just some idea of, okay, here's this religion, as every other religion is built around an idea of philosophy. It's built around, here's what we think, or here's our perception. Our faith is built around the real person, Jesus Christ, who lived and died, and raised from the dead, and ascended to heaven, and is sitting on his throne, and ruling and reigning. It's truth. It's fact. Luke is writing of this. We can go to Luke's grave because Luke was a man that died and lived. Right? He lived and died. We can't go to Jesus' grave. We can go to an idea of where his grave might be because they didn't enshrine his grave. Because there was no need to. Because Jesus was with them. And he walked with them as we'll see as we continue on through here. So this is massive for us to get, church. This is huge and important for us to get that Luke took the effort and took the time to write 25% of the New Testament so that a man could understand that Jesus is true and that because he is true, he is the agent that has changed the world. It's massive for us to get. This isn't just a philosophy. This isn't just an idea, but this is truth. And because it is truth... And because you look at these two individuals, you look at Luke, who was a doctor. You look at Theophilus, who was either a very wealthy person or a Roman official or a Roman government official or a soldier. You look at both of them. They had something to lose in saying Christianity is true. They had everything to gain in the world's mind and staying in the professions. How many of you ever met a poor doctor? Right? None of us, right? It doesn't matter even if they're just starting out, right? If they're just starting into the medical field, they're going to be doing better off than most of us, right? Right? Luke had every intention and everything in the world to say, you're going to be cared for, provided for, everything's being taken care of, you're going to get stature, you're going to do all these things, you stay in the profession, 
that you've been studying, that you do what you've been given to do. He had a lot in the world's eyes to lose in saying, I'm going to follow another person around this world and I'm going to record the history of Jesus Christ. Theophilus had a lot to lose, but both of them saw the opportunity in knowing who Jesus was and their lives being so changed by Jesus. They saw the opportunity in what they had and they gave everything because they know that Jesus demands our life. Jesus doesn't just demand an idea of us. He doesn't just say, I want a part of you. He doesn't just say, hey, I tell you what, if you can give me a couple days out of the week, that's great. He doesn't just say, if you can say, hey, Jesus, you're good, you're cool, I can believe in you. He says, no, I want all of you. I want all of you. And we see here in Luke and we see in Theophilus, two individuals that said, I'm going to give everything. I'm going to give everything of what I have. Luke is an educated person. Luke is a knowledgeable person. Luke is an inquisitive person. So he sets out, uses his gifts to write the most in-depth history of who Jesus Christ is. That most of our theology and understanding of God and the church and even the way the church functions is based on this man. He said, this is what I have and this is what I'm going to do. Theophilus knew what he had and he said, here's what I'm going to do. So when you look at these two individuals and you hear the idea that Jesus asked that you give your life to him. You look at it and you say, you know what? I'm going to surrender all to him with what I have. Not with what you could have one day, not with what you could do one day, not with an idea or a dream, a fantasy of what could be, but with what you have in this moment, you give your all to Jesus. So I'm going to give my life to you. These two men, between the both of them and the influence that they had, they bankrolled the entire New Testament. They funded the New Testament. They writ the New Testament. They made this New Testament a reality between the two of them and Paul. What do you have opportunity to give? What do you have opportunity to say, this is what I have? And yes, it might to you look like it's not much, but to God it says it's what I've given you for this moment. If you give it to me for my glory, I can do anything with it. Luke is writing to an individual. Thousands of years later, there's millions upon millions, some 500 and some just Pentecostals around the world, million Pentecostals around the world sitting here today. Hearing scriptures from the New Testament. What do you have to give? If you give your life to him and say, you know what, this is what I have. I'm going to give it for your glory. God can do incredible things through it. And as we go on and we look through the rest of the verses here. Come on, that's just the first part of Acts chapter 1-1. Come on. Acts 1-B, it says this through verse 2. It says, about everything Jesus begun to do and teach... Till the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Jesus' life demands a decision. Jesus' life demands a decision. In verse 1, it says this. It says, 1b, it says, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. Theophilus, I'm writing to you the second part of my book about everything that Jesus began to do and teach. What does it begin to do and teach? Luke. Everything in Luke, that's what he began to do and teach. Now I'm going to get ready to start writing to you about all the things that are going to happen after this. But here's something powerful to think about. John, John uh, Calvin, he calls, this, he calls this a holy knot. This is something we've got to wrestle with. But the to do and teach. Some translations say works in words. 
So here's, here's what we got to wrestle with. And here's the, the implication for us in this part of the verse is that a lot of people are okay with Jesus' works. They're totally cool with the idea of somebody coming and loving the unlovable. They're totally cool with the idea of somebody coming and inspiring people to give to the needy. They're completely okay with the idea of somebody coming and teaching a good moral lesson to help us to be better people. They're totally okay with someone coming in and even doing miraculous things and, and, and supernatural things taking place through a person's life. They're totally cool with that. But where people begin to have an issue is in Jesus' words. It wasn't his actions that got him crucified. It was his words that got him crucified. Jesus claimed to be the son of God. Jesus claimed deity. Jesus came and said that he is here to forgive sins. Jesus established himself as God, showed himself to be God through his actions, through his works. But it all spoke to and revealed what his words were and that they are truth. So really for you and I today, it's a decision that has to be made. Jesus demands our life. But it's not just something where we can go through and we can just say, okay, you know what? He demands my life, so all right, I'm just going to kind of do it. But he demands an intentional decision. That we don't just be okay with what Jesus did in the sense of being a good moral teacher and being those things. But that we be completely true and understand and embrace what he said of himself to be. And through that, what he did. That we embrace his works through what he said. That we make a decision that he is Lord. That there is a truth and there's a reality that every single one of us has fallen. That we are not just going to be able to make things better in ourselves. That sin is a reality and that because of sin, we can never be in a relationship with God. Unless something else happens. Paul David Tripp, he says it this way. He said, there's no system of redemption that works. Fallen human beings need a redeemer. Jesus came declaring himself to be redeemer. Jesus claimed that he is God. And that he came to bear our sins and bear all of our iniquities and all of our punishment so that we could have life in Jesus Christ. So that we could know this abundant life that God promises to us. There's a decision that has to be made. Are you okay with the idea of Jesus and what he did in his works of caring through people? The moralistic uh, implications that are even there that people are okay with. They're okay with Jesus being accepted in the same line as Gandhi and Buddha. But that's not who he is. Jesus is king above all kings. He's above all of them. He's not a, not a philosophy, but he is Jesus. He is God, and it is true. And if it is true, then their decision has to be made. I'm going to follow him, and I'm going to give him my life, or I'm not. That's the decision that has to be made. We continue on and look at this verse. You guys doing good this morning? By the way, I have no clue what time it is. So if I start getting close, does somebody yell at me? All right, sounds good. I got 10 minutes, awesome. All right. So here's the big thing as we look at all of his claims of who he was. They were verified through his resurrection. They're verified through his resurrection. 
Jesus' life and power is not to be admired, but to be experienced. Jesus' life and power is not just to be admired, but it's to be experienced. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says, During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and proved them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Walked with them, talked with them, and he ate with them for 40 days. For 40 days, Jesus showed that he was real and that he was true. You think about this and you think about this scripture and what it means just think of the idea of this, and, and I'm going to share a scripture here with you just to give a little bit more context to it. But Jesus sat with them, and he talked with them. He showed them the wounds in his hands. He did all that he could to prove to them that he was who he said he was and that he was alive. That it was not an idea, it was not a dream, it wasn't some hallucination. They didn't just find the wine left over from his wedding a long time ago that had gotten really old and it got really good and all of a sudden something was It was real. And Jesus was building in them this anticipation. And if you think I'm wrong for what I did to Michelle, I was just following Jesus' model. <laughs> John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors. They're scared. They're afraid. They're in Jerusalem where a mob of people just killed their Lord. A mob of people just killed the man that they said was going to be king. They're afraid. They're locked in a room. They're hiding behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Boom. What's up, guys? Come on, that's pretty awesome, right? What's up? Disappears. And he says, peace be with you. I love that. I always picture Jesus throwing out some gang signs. Just, Peace be with you. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Jesus just appeared to them. Throughout these 40 days, they have known Jesus in a very real, intimate way. A very present way. They've walked with Jesus every day for years now. They've spent time with him every day for years now. They've known when he's gone to bed. They've known when he's woke up. There's been moments where he's been gone and like, where is he at? And then they find him praying. There's been moments that they've been fighting and he's solved the issues for them. There's been moments that they've been stupid and he told them they were stupid. And all of these things that they've been doing life together. They've been seeing all these miraculous things happen. They've been seeing all these things take place. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jesus is dead and they're like, what's going on? What's taking place? And then all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, Jesus says, bam, what's up? Peace be with you. And they're like, ah! <laughs> right? But then he gives them peace by showing them that he's real and that he's present, that he's there with them, and that he's gone. Over the next 40 days, Jesus appears, and then he disappears. He appears, and then he disappears. I love this about Jesus. You can't, ex you can't explain what he's doing. You can't anticipate what he's doing. You can't just sit there and say, okay, something, you know, all right, hey, Jesus is going to be here with the day. You don't know. I'm going to hide behind a locked door, and all of a sudden Jesus is there. How'd you get in here? You're scaring me, right? He's building in them this anticipation and excitement for what's to come. 
He's saying, hey, listen, there's change happening. There's transitioning happening. Here's what you've known and here's what you've experienced. But something's getting ready to come up. But I know where you are and I'm going to do what I've got to do in this moment. I'm going to speak to you where you are. That's what we can pull out of this verse is that each one of us, no matter where we are, if we find ourselves in a room locked with fear and worry, that when we turn to Jesus and we give him our life, we make a decision for him, that Jesus is to be experienced and that he comes to where we are. He finds us in our doubts. He finds us in our fears. He finds us in our anxieties. He finds us in our depravity and he comes into that space. He says, peace. I'm real. I'm here. You can know me. You can experience me. And then that's supposed to build an anticipation and an excitement for what's to come. Jesus didn't just say, I'm going to come with you and I'm going to make you just feel easy. I'm not just going to come and just be and hang out with you for the next 40 days like everything was. No, everything's different now. Everything's different now, and I want you to know that. I want to be this sense of excitement. What's getting ready to happen? What's getting ready to come? I knew Michelle's love language was surprise, and why she loves surprise is why I love her, because she just wants to take the world on and see it for what it is and say, I want to have fun. I want to do what God wants us to have to do. I don't care about what we have. I just want to care about what's ahead. I love that about her, and that's a heart that God wants us to have. That we have this expectation that I don't know what's getting ready to happen. I don't know where my foot's getting ready to go. And, and you know what? I, I, you know what? For whatever crazy reason, God's telling me that I need to do this thing. I need to sell my car. I need to take this job. Or I need to go to this country. And we're just like, I don't know if I can do it. But there's this excitement because we know that God's been with us in our darkest fears. He's been with us in our worries. He's been with us in this place where we don't know what to do. And we know we've encountered him there. And it doesn't just cause us to say, okay, I can sit still now, but it causes us to say, I can't wait for what's next. I can't wait for what I'm going to do because when Jesus comes into our space and when Jesus meets us where we are, he's readying our hearts for mission. He's readying our hearts to build us on and to put us on because anticipation brings action. Expectation brings action. That when we expect that God is meeting us and with us and that he wants to do more, it causes us to move into what he's given us opportunity to do. This is huge. Acts chapter 1. Awesome. Just lost my notes. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Once when he was eating with them, I just tweeted out, by the way, this uh, thing this week I saw from Leonard Sweet. It's one of my favorite authors. He says the best description of the gospel that he knows is that Jesus ate really good food with really bad people. Love that. Love that. So good. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The worship team can go ahead and come up. Jesus has been appearing to them unannounced and in miraculous ways. He's been getting to show them who he is, and he's showing them the truth that he has risen from the dead. He's proven it to them in every possible way that they need him to prove it to them. He's patient with them. 
He's loving with them. He's, care, he's caring, but he's intentional. He's intentional and he's speaking to them. He tells them to wait. He says, wait. It's just like I did with Michelle. <laughs> Here's a box. Wait. God does that a lot. God says, here's a dream, wait. Here's an idea, wait. Here's where I want you to go, wait. Here's a promise, wait. And God does that a lot. The reason that he does that is twofold. One, we look at this verse, Jesus told him to stay in Jerusalem. Our natural inclination is to do what's most comfortable and logical for us. It's our natural inclination. And depending on your trust, on your intellect, is the easier it is for you. But our natural inclination is to say, this makes sense, this is what I need to do, I'm gonna go do it. They're locked in a room, they're afraid. The Jewish leaders have just killed their leader. They're scared they're next. They've all abandoned him. They've all denied him. Even what they believe to be true, they've just run away from. They're a mess. Jesus speaks to them and he's showing them who he really is. And he's speaking to the kingdom in that moment. Man, can you imagine? Can you imagine? You've seen Jesus multiply fish and you've seen him multiply bread. You've seen him bring Lazarus back from the dead. You've seen him heal the blind and you've seen him heal people when he's not even with them. And now all of a sudden out of nowhere, Jesus can walk through walls and Jesus can appear and disappear. And he's saying, there's more, there's more and you're getting ready to do something. Here's what the kingdom looks like and I'm gonna do it through you. Can you imagine the excitement that they have? Can you imagine the anticipation? Can you imagine the excitement? I mean, can you imagine in those moments if you've ever been there, you can't sleep. The night before I proposed to Michelle, I didn't sleep at all. I was supposed to work that day. I was such a mess. My boss sent me home. <laughs> I was so excited. But I had to wait for the right moments. I had to wait. Oftentimes we say, hey, I gotta do this. They could have very easily, and their next rational step would have been to go back to Galilee. Let's go back where it's safe. Let's go back where it's accepted. Let's go back where we can start making sense of all of this. And Jesus says, no, stay where you are. Stay in Jerusalem. Why? Because oftentimes where the greatest sense of difficulty is, is where we're going to see the greatest reality of victory. Wherever you are in your life with Christ today, whether you have no clue who he is or you've been walking with him for 20 years, where you are today is where God has you. And he's given you something that you can use for his glory. It's not small, it's not insignificant, but it's for his glory and its impact is beyond your imagination because it's eternal. And today, if you don't know who Jesus Christ is, I'm telling you, there was a man thousands of years ago that walked this earth. 
And he spoke to Jesus' mom. And he spoke to people that in his community. And he read every document that he could read. And he went to every place that Jesus went to. And he traveled the world with Paul. And he saw all of these things happening. And he saw people healed. And he saw people giving their lives to God. And he says, this is real. Jesus is true. And if you embrace that, maybe not everything's going to make sense to you in the moment, but when you embrace that, you embrace life. And I'm telling you this, in your heart, you will find peace and you will find abundant life. And if you are a follower of Christ and you've been living for Jesus, today, look at what you have. Look at what you have and say, I'm going to use it for Him. I'm going to fully expose myself and say, God, it's for you. You do with it what you want to do with it. And I'm going to go where you want me to go. And if you got me in a place where it's not comfortable, I'm completely cool with that. Because if you want to work in that place, that's where you're going to do the most. And I want to be there. God, there's a conversation you want me to have with somebody or one that I need to have with somebody and I'm refusing to because it's difficult and I don't want to. But that place of difficulty could be the greatest place of victory. Embrace it. Embrace it. Maybe God's calling you to a new place, a new job, a new opportunity. Don't look at the fear. Look at the possibility. Will you stand with me? going to pray and then we're going to sing a song I just want you to take a few moments as we sing the song to reflect on where you are you respond how you need to respond to God there's not a formula to this if you say I need Jesus you know what in this moment I have not lived for him maybe I've been a part of church forever but I can tell in this moment I know that I know that I know that I am not living for Jesus and you just say what you need to say say, Jesus, I need you. I'm aware that you died on the cross for me. And God, I want to walk in the life that you've made possible. And if you are a follower of Christ today, and you know that you know that you know that you know that you are his, will you lift up your hands and will you lift up your voice and say, God, I'm ready. God, I am willing. God, I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. God, I want to, as Luke did, live a life full of the Holy Spirit so I can do what you've given me to do. God, we thank you as we lift up these prayers. God, for the most deepest parts of our heart, God, find the sincerity, find the truth. God, and invade our hearts. Fill us with your Spirit and work in us.